you're a guest with us this morning, we, we do want to say welcome to you again, and, and thank you for being here on this first Sunday of the new year. Uh, there is a, a guest card there in the back of the chair uh, directly in front of you, and we'd love for you to, to fill that out at some point uh, during the service. And at the end of the service, as we come and um, celebrate communion together, um, also give of our uh, gifts and offerings, we uh, would ask that you would place that in the, the plate either up here or in the back. And we simply want to be neighborly back to you and tell you thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, one thing we get to do, too, is you turn in that card uh, that automatically generates something really cool here. We, we, we give uh, $5 for each card back to MetroCrest uh, services here locally that help serve uh, homeless and uh, uh, others in our community that are in hard times uh, in different ways through food and other services. So um, that card uh, does more than, than just let us know you were here and uh, with us this morning, um, but we can follow up with you and uh, see how we can minister to you, and also goes to help support a good cause as well. Um, with 2019 here, uh, there will be those who will have their resolutions, right? You maybe have done those. Uh, maybe you've kicked those to the curb. I don't know. Um, and they involve many different things, right? Health. Um, they involve relationships. They involve uh, how we spend our time, even uh, even our spiritual life as well. And so resolutions can be good, and they can be fun to make, but as we all have experienced, uh, keeping them is not as easy and necessarily not enjoyable as, as well for some of us. And so as we jump into 2019, with, with that in mind, uh, I want us this day and also next Sunday uh, to remember together who God says that we are who God says that we are. What, what is our identity as the church? And it's so significant that we know what that means. And, and as a result of that, of, of who we are, who he has called us to be in this world, what's our purpose? What has he created us in Christ Jesus for? And, and so it's important, though, we, that we know who he has created us to be, first and foremost. What is our identity? And what flows out of that is this great, great mission that he's called us to. And, and my prayer is I want us to see how this influences every area of our life and that it would help us direct our days to increasingly glorify God in all we do along the way. And so this morning, I would love if you walked out of here this morning and you could say, I'm the church. I'm the church. A and you would know what that means. When you walk out here, you say, I'm the church. And that you would know what that really means according to what we see this morning. And so let's look at chapter 2 of, of 1 Peter, verses 1 through 3 to begin. And I, and I want us to see how significant at being the church of our personal relationship with God is. And that that continues to grow um, as individuals first, and then we'll look corporately in just a second. But look at verses 1 through 3. He says here, Therefore, putting aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Now, as we begin this morning... Uh, what's the first word that, that causes your eyes to raise up a little this morning? And, and, I, and I hope it's the first word of the verse, because the first word says, therefore. 
And what do we ask when there's a therefore? Yeah, what's that therefore, therefore, right? Good question, right? It should cause us to do what? To go back and to look to see what the author had talked about before because that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to see what precedes the section he's about to enter into because what precedes is significant and very important to what he's going to say. And so what did he say before? Well, we read a little bit of that this morning in our worship time uh, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, and I would say even if you go to about 3 through 12, and then also in chapter 1, 22 through 25, he, he wants us to remember these things, and there's some significant things within those texts he wants us to remember. First of all is this idea of being born again, that, that we must be born again to have a relationship with God. And you remember Jesus in John chapter 3, he talked to a fellow by the name of Nicodemus. And he told Nicodemus that you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. It's something that the Spirit of God does to people who are dead in sin, dead in depravity. The Bible tells us that, that our hearts are sick and wicked without knowing God because of sin. We're separated. But Jesus... God sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross for us. And as we've sung this morning, he paid the debt for us so that our sin could be paid for and so that we could enter into this relationship with God, that we could have spiritual life. And it's a great mystery. It's a great wonder of how God causes that to happen in us, as chapter 1, verse 3 says. As we begin to believe in him, verse 8 of chapter 1. And that's what Peter wants us to remember, that we have this relationship that God has caused through Jesus Christ this transforming work to where we went from not knowing God personally to now we have this personal, intimate relationship with him as the Spirit of God now lives within us because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and through his resurrection. And so he wants us to be reminded of that. Um, So this section begins with this idea in mind. Since you've been born again through this living and enduring word of God, the gospel, this is who you are. And so I want us to jump forward a little bit, and we'll flesh it out in a second, but look at verse 9. Who are we? Who are we now? Because of this happening to us, this great change in our life, God says in verse 9 of chapter 2, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You are the people of God. That's who you are this morning. Did you know that? Did you know that? That is your identity if you've been born again. That's the church, and that's who you are. I I pray this morning that encourages you to know that. That when God sees you, that's what he sees. And that's what he so longs for you to remember this morning. And it ultimately impacts what we do, what we do each day. And so look at the text again in 1 Peter um, 2, verse 1. Peter's going to give us some images here this morning. He's going to give us an image of, of taking off old garments. Okay, We all know what that means, to take off uh, a garment. He also is going to give us an image of growing like new babies. I think we get that. He's going to give us an image of being built up like a temple or a building. He's also going to give us an image of 
those who serve like, like priests do. And two of these images are in the first couple of verses here. And so look at verse 1 again. He says, therefore, to do what? To put aside all malice. And so he's going to tell us to put away things like an old garment. You would throw these things off. And then also in chapter 2, he's going to say, like newborn babies long for something, that they yearn for something. And so he's got these two things in mind as he's speaking to those who are born again, who are the church, that he wants us to do. And so the first thing he says is we're to put aside, put away, put off, get rid of malice. What's malice? Uh, malice is all wickedness. It's, it's uh, depravity. It's things that those who are born again should not have anything to do with. Uh, it can be anger as well. It can be ill will, where you deliberately um, have anger and wrath towards someone. Uh, in a very evil way. And so then all deceit were to put aside as well. That's lying. That's um, not telling the truth, right? Not being truthful. Hypocrisy, that mainly here is pertaining to our speech. So we will say one thing, but we do another. We misrepresent ourselves um, to other people about who we really are. And then envy, jealousy, right? We, We lust for things, okay, that... Maybe we're not supposed to have, uh, that others have, that we want. We're jealous. Um, All slander, this is defamation or evil speaking toward other people or about other people. Cutting other people down. Making fun of other people. You name it. Talking ill will about others. Peter says we're to put those things to the side. We're to take them off. We should have nothing to do with those things as the church. But instead, he says... You're to yearn for, you're to long for, like babies who have just been born. What do they long for? They long for their mom's milk. They do. That's how we all have been created, to long for the milk of their mother. And he says, hey, I want you to have that picture, that image of that longing, that yearning. But I want you to have it for what? For the word of God, for the pure milk of the word, God's word, the scripture. Do we yearn for God's word? Do we long for that? He says, I want you to have that kind of longing, that kind of yearning, that kind of appetite for the word of God. And when you think about our appetite for God's word, our hunger for God's word, um, one of the things that I've learned, it's, it's not one of those things that just, when you become born again, that you just, everyone just naturally thinks, oh, I gotta get to God's word, and I, and I gotta start reading, you know, hours of day and things like that. It, it just doesn't naturally happen like that. But what I have found what, with the word of God is, is as you read it, God begins to stir and grow an appetite as you keep reading it. And he begins to cultivate that. So that's something we must do, that we've gotta cultivate a desire, a hunger for the word of God. And how do we do that? By being in it by being in it. And so I want to encourage you to to cultivate that, to cultivate a a longing, a yearning, an appetite for the word of God. And we always say, well, why? What's my purpose for reading the word of God? Well, he says right here, so that you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Those who have tasted the kindness of the Lord is still the same idea of being born again. But it leads us back to Psalm 34, 8. 
Psalm 34, 8 says this. It's David standing before the Israelites, and he says, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And those who have been born again, we know that. We have experienced the goodness of God. And so he's saying here, we must cultivate a taste for God's word. Greater consumption will bring greater satisfaction as well as increased spiritual growth. And so what is this talking about here? This is talking about as the church that we have this personal relationship with God. And scripture reading, the reading of God's word is vital to us as the body of Christ so that we may grow in becoming more and more like Jesus. And so God gives us a tool, the word of God, that we may grow, that we would hunger and have an appetite for the word of God so that we would put off these things and begin to put on the character of Christ, growing in respect to our salvation. So what does this mean? I mean, we have these tools. We have the word of God. We have prayer as well. And that you and I would plan each day times of silence, times of solitude, times of study, times of reflection in the word of God. And that we would pray and speak to the Lord and wait on him and listen to him. So what does that mean we need to do? We need to intentionally create time and space to enjoy this deep fellowship with God so that he can reorient and direct our days to increasingly glorify him. So we need the word of God. And as we keep reading it, keep diving in, he will give us a hunger, a yearning, a longing for it. And so as the church, we have this personal relationship with God that is to be growing as we hunger, as we taste and see the goodness of God, and especially through his word. He's going to grow us up. He's going to grow us up. And then look at verse 4 and 5. He moves on. He talks about the church. And he says, hey, this is who you are, and this is who your foundation and what your foundation is. And so look at verse 4 and 5. He says, and coming to him. That word him is Jesus. Coming to Jesus as to a living stone which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so he has this idea in verse 1 through 3 of this relationship we have with God. And then he enters into verse 4 and he says, and coming to him. So we continue to come to him. We continue to rest on him. This is significant, significant. Continue to lean in on him. And who is he? Jesus, it says, is a living stone. What does that speak of? It's speaking of a foundation. He is our foundation. Unlike a a rock, Jesus is alive, and he's able to do something for us. He imparts strength. He imparts support to us. Especially as as believers, we've got to know that as, as these living stones, he is the foundation. He's the foundation. He is the living stone. And he says right here, we are the living stones. And so significant to our relationship is this growing relationship with Jesus Christ that he is our foundation. As this living stone, though, right, Scripture is going to tell us that he's also one who has been rejected. 
There are men who will reject him. But those, right, um, who do not reject him, Jesus is their foundation. And they have found, just as it says about God, that he is a choice and precious one in the sight of God. Meaning this, that God has chosen Jesus. He is the honored one. He is the one he has picked uh, and the one that God prizes. And so shall we as the foundation of our life. And so Jesus talks about this living stone, Jesus Christ. But then look what he says too. He says that you and I are living stones. Living stones. What does that mean? So think about this for a second. He's talked about us being born again as individuals and have this growing relationship with Christ through the word of God. Now he's going to talk about living stones, this corporate group, this corporate a gathering of believers, and he calls us living stones that are being built up as a spiritual house. And so he uses this image of a house or a temple being built. And so the church is not a building, right? We get that. The church is the people of God, but Peter uses this image of a building to speak of the people of God, the church, um, and he sees the church as this living temple to which God is adding new believers to it, these new living stones. With him as the living stone, he's adding these living stones to it, new believers to it. And so each Christian in here this morning, when you think of that image, I want you to know that you think of yourself as a living stone in the building, right, of the church, you are essential to the church. You are essential. You enable, right, with Jesus as the foundation, the whole structure to fulfill its purpose. Did you know that? Did you know that? I want you to hear this this morning. Listen to what Jesus says in a few different places. In Matthew 16, when he's talking about the church to Peter, he, he asks Peter this question. He said, Peter, who do you say that I am? And then Peter's going to respond. He says, Lord, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds back to Peter. And I want you to hear what he says. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who's in heaven did. I also say to you that you are Peter. Peter's name is rock or stone. Okay. So he uses this word to, to, to speak of Peter's name. And then he says, upon this rock, right, this word rock right here is a little different word. It's talking of a greater stone, okay? It says, and upon this stone, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Jesus was not talking, right, about this, this priestly system um, to be the rock, right, that you were to lean on this, this priestly uh, pope system, to uh, be the rock and that the gates of Hades would not overpower that. He didn't have that in mind. The, the rock, the greater stone in mind here is Jesus. He is the foundation. He, he's the living stone that Peter is even talking about. So Peter has this image because Jesus gave it to him, right? Jesus spoke about it. And, and so he's saying here to the church, you're these living stones built on the foundation, the rock of Jesus, and he is building a spiritual house, a spiritual family. 
And so know this morning, significant is not what earthly family you're a part, to, a part of or belong to. Families are important, yes, but he's saying there's something even more significant to that. It's the family of God. It's the church. So that even trumps earthly families. Your spiritual family. Jesus says that's what I'm building. And it's built upon him. And Paul even spoke of this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And you are God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, and in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. We are God's family. We are his household that he is building. What did that look like to Jesus? You remember when he was on the cross in John 19? Verse 26 through 27, he, he had different people there. His mother was there, disciples, and, and, and he said something to his mother, Mary. He said, behold your son. And then he looked at the disciple whom he loved, it says. His name was John. And he looked at John and he says, behold your mother. Those could have been kind of confusing statements that Jesus maybe was saying. But what Jesus was saying is, hey, listen, what I'm doing here on the cross is creating something different, a new people, the church. And what happened after that, John took Jesus' mother, Mary, and cared for her, and she lived with John the rest of her days, it says. Why? Because what Jesus came and did is he created a new people. He created a new family, the family of God, the household of God. And we become this family that he is building together. So what does that mean? First of all, we need each other, right? Because every stone is dependent on the other with Jesus as the foundation. We need fellow Christians in our life. It's significant. Significant. It's important to get plugged into a church. And so maybe you've been coming here at the Ridge, and, and maybe you feel like God's calling you here to get connected on a deeper level with people. Well, I want to encourage you to do that because God wants you to be part of a local expression of what he's building um, universally in the church. And so now, what are we to do? What are we to be as these living stones? And so look what he says here is this spiritual House, He says, as these living stones, you are being built up as a spiritual house. For what? For what purpose? For a holy priesthood to offer up sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So who are we? We're not just this household that, that gathers and, and brings casseroles to potlucks and sits around and you know, ho-hums and, and just hang out, right? No. He says that we're being built up. We're growing together. We're edifying one another. We're encouraging each other on. For what purpose? That we would be a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? We are priests. 
as this household, we were not just this, this dead, right, brick that just stuck together and hangs out together. We are alive. We're these living stones, and we are priests that are worshiping God together. Some of that happened this morning in here. We're serving one another. Do you know there are people outside these walls right now serving you? How are they serving you? They're serving your kids. They're serving you and doing that. And they're serving your kiddos, loving them. They're being priests. Do you know that? They are being priests. Being priests. See, in the kingdom of God, in the church, there's not a priestly line. It's not like, hey, you got this pastor and he's like the top priest and then it just kind of dwindles down from there or something like that. Not, not even a hint of that. that. That never fits even in the New Testament. There's no thought of that whatsoever. But in the church, priests are this. You and you and you and you and you and you. Everyone who's been born again, you are a priest. You're a priest. Now, when we think of a priest, we think of someone in these long robes, right? So go out and get one this week. We'll see how that rolls. But no, I mean, you are a priest, and it talks about that. That's who you are this morning. So when you go out of here this morning and say, I am the church, you also are saying, I'm a priest. I'm a priest, and that is big. I do not want you to miss that this morning. That involves worshiping God. Yes, we've done that together. Serving one another. We're to serve each other as priests, right? We're to do that. We're also to serve those in the world because what does a priest do? A priest does a few things. Uh, a priest would mediate, right, between God and the people. He would intercede, right? So we get to do that. Well, you know what's cool about it this morning? We get to intercede on behalf of each other. We get to pray for each other. Just like we prayed for Dan this morning, because why? We're priests. We're interceding on behalf of our brother who's preaching. We're, we're priests. You get to pray for people in the world, at your work. You're interceding on behalf of them to God. What do priests also do? They represent God to people, right? That's what you get to do. That's our spiritual act of service that he wants us to do as we live holy, pleasing lives to God. We're to represent him in this world. He's called us to do that. Now look at verse six and eight. What's the context that this is gonna happen in? Okay? He's gonna give us two realities here in this world that are present. And look what he says in verse six. For this is contained in scripture, specifically Isaiah, also Psalm uh, as well. But he says, behold, I lay in Zion, a choice stone. So still with that idea of building in mind, right? Jesus is the living stone. We are living stones that he's building into a household, okay? Now listen to what he says. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him, Isaiah said this hundreds of years ago, will not be disappointed. Who is he talking about? The Messiah. He was talking about Jesus. And then it says, this precious value talking about the stone, the living stone, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve. Which the builders rejected. This became the very cornerstone and a stumbling block and a rock of offense. And so what does he say right here? He gives us, I believe, a context, two realities in the world, okay, but the first thing he says before that, with this building in mind, this 
living stone, living stones, that Jesus is a cornerstone, right? So what does a cornerstone do? If he's this living stone and we are living stones, what it means, he's the main stone we rest on. He's the main stone that holds all of this together, okay? He holds all of this together. So, so what does that mean? And it's all about him. He created this body. He created this household of believers. And so what is he doing? He's going to continue to hold and sustain them together. And so what do we do? we got to continue to believe on him. Okay, That's what it says here. Believe on him. And what happens as a result of that? We will never be disappointed. Never. Now you might say, wait a time on a second. There are things that disappoint me, right? Sure, I mean, there's going to be things in life that disappoint us, but Jesus will never disappoint you. He will never disappoint you. In fact, he makes a promise to his people. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He tells us in other places, I will be with you to the end of this age. He is always faithful. He's always true. And he's one you can rest on as a living stone that will not disappoint you. In fact, if you look at the first part of verse 6, this, this quotation of Isaiah, um, the prophet, where it says, I lay in Zion a choice stone. The reason Peter, I think, includes this in there is he wants us to look to the future. He wants us to look to our destiny as believers because Zion is a reference to the heavenly Jerusalem, which the church will be a part of in the new heavens and the new earth. If you go to places like Revelation 21, when Jesus returns. And so what you know what's cool about this text right here? This is our hope now, and this is our hope forever, to know that as we rest on Jesus, we rest on him presently, and we also rest on him knowing that he holds our future and that we will be with him forever. And so what does that say, guys? He will not disappoint you. When other things in this world, right, around every corner will ultimately disappoint you. People will disappoint you, right? That will happen. But Jesus won't. He will not disappoint you. And so there's a reality in this world. There's two of them. There are believers, right? And they lean on the cornerstone. And they aren't disappointed. But the other reality that we find, the context that we live in, there's those who do not believe in Jesus as their cornerstone. They do not believe in Jesus as their precious value in life. And so what do they do with Jesus? They stumble over him. They trip over him. They fall over Jesus. And so this is true, he says, of those builders who rejected him. Who are the builders? They were religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders. They are the people of Israel, right, who God had chosen to be his people, but they turned their back on him and disobeyed him. And they also, those builders who rejected him, are also just uh, unbelievers in general as well. And so some will believe, and some will not believe. Those who believe will not be disappointed, but those who do not believe, they will face doom, it says at the verse 8. It says they will face destruction. And who does the responsibility fall on them? Why? Because they were disobedient to the gospel, the word, the word. Instead of believing in the living and enduring word of God, the gospel, they chose to believe in something temporary, 
something that is false and they disobeyed the word of God and ultimately they will find at the end of that road something that will not hold them, something that will not secure them in this life or the life to come and they'll face doom and destruction. And so this is the reality, right, of those we work with, those who live in our community, in our neighborhoods, that we go to school with, that we play on sport teams with, this is the reality that we live in, the context that we find. And so Peter says, in light of that, I want to remind you, this is who you are, and this is what you do, okay? So before we head out, I want you to see this this morning. Look at verse 9 and 10, and we're going to come back to this next week as well and flesh this out even a little more. But before we leave, I want you to see what he says here. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, Jesus, who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Wow. So church, that's who you are. That's who we are. You are a chosen race. What does that mean? There's Jewish tone, by the way, obviously, right? Because part of who Jesus, or excuse me, who Peter is talking to are Jews as well who have become Christian. And so there's this Jewish tone here, and, and rightfully so. He wants us to have that idea because a lot of these things, you go back to the Old Testament, would define Israel. But now God is saying, hey, this defines you, the church, the chosen people of God. That's who you are. And you're a chosen race. As the church, we're a spiritual race. Those who share the faith, the same faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We're spiritual descendants of Abraham because we believe like Abraham did in the promises of God. So much so that if you go to a place like Romans 2, I don't have the verse this morning, but it will say this, that you as the church are a true Jew, right? It will say that because you are one inwardly, right? And that's who we are. We're the people of God, a chosen race. And then it says here, you're a royal priesthood. Every Christian We've heard this already, is a priest before God. We've been given access to the Father through Christ. We worship, we intercede, we minister uh, as his priest. We're this new priesthood in the world representing God to people in our home, in our family, in our place of work, in our school, in our community. That's who you are, a royal priesthood. You're part of a kingdom of priests. And you're to represent God in the world. You're a holy nation, a holy nation. He uses the word here, holy. Peter picked up on this in chapter one as well. He said, like the holy one in verse 15 through 16 of chapter one, who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because God is holy. So what are we to be? We're to be this, this, this people that God has brought together and we're to live lives that are different than those in the world. We live differently. Instead of living according to the ways of the world, we live according to the way of God. So for example, in verse 11 and 12, when he says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which way war against the soul. So as the world goes and pursues these fleshly lusts, we do not, right? 
We're holy. We're different. We're, we're set apart to live according to the way and the will of God. We are to keep our behavior, verse 12, excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And so he wants us to live differently. He wants us to live according to the way of God as this holy nation. And we're not just to stay in this nation, right? You know, God said, hey, listen, <laughs> man, I don't want you to be like those nations around you. And he pretty much told Israel to stay, right? But now we hear, what is God doing? He, he doesn't want us to stay. He wants us to go, right, to the ends of the world and be my witness. And so as a holy nation, we go into other nations. And then he says, we're a people for God's own possession. Isn't that amazing to think of? That as the church, you are his. You are his possession. We are his people. This is our identity. And then lastly, because we are his people, we're to live for his purpose in the world, his mission in mind. He says, you are this so that you may do this. Declare, proclaim the excellencies of Jesus who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. For you were once not his people, but now you are the people of God. You have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is your purpose. This is my purpose as the church in this world. Isn't this amazing to think of it? We have a story. We have a story, and it's all the same in here. It looks different. It's got different parts, but the same storyline is this. You were once a people, but now you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You once were not shown mercy, but now you've been shown mercy. That's our story. And we're to go to the world and declare the goodness, the glory, the excellencies of God to all people. And during Passover, what Jews would do they would celebrate, and part of their celebration, they would describe their deliverance from Egypt back in the day as a call out of darkness into great light. And we as the church, we are God's instrument by which the light of Christ reaches individuals still in darkness. And we're to go and declare that we have been brought out of the darkness into this marvelous light. That's our purpose. And we're going to pick up next week more on this and what that means and, and what that looks like. But I want to ask you as we wrap up, do you ever question, do you ever just sit and question, who am I? Who am I? Do you ever struggle with that? I mean, if we're honest, we do have days. We do have periods where we struggle with knowing who we are. And we also struggle with, why am I here? What, where do I fit? What's my place? And this may be as husbands, this may be as wives, as dads and moms, and single, married. We, we question these things at times. What's my role? It could be as a student. What? what why, why am I going to the school? Whether you're in grade school, middle school, or high school, and maybe you're in college now, and man, you're just wondering, God, what 
am I going to do? And, and who am I now? Because things start changing and you start wondering, where do I fit? Where do I belong? I, I want you to remember this morning what you just heard and who God says to you, wherever you're at in life right now, this is who you are. This is you, who based on who you are, what you are to do. So Jesus is our identity. So the first thing is, are you born again? Do you know him, right? Do you know him? Is Jesus your identity? If not, the Bible says we must be born again. Verse 8 of chapter 1, believe in him. So believe in Jesus this morning. Be born again and have a relationship with him. As Christians, Jesus continues to be our identity, and we must continue to live for him, proclaiming his greatness to the world. And so I pray that you walk out and say, I am the church. I am a chosen race. I am a royal priesthood. I'm a holy nation. And I am a people of God's own possession. And because of that, I must go represent him to the world and declare him. I pray today, man, that settles into your heart and your soul and it causes you to rejoice. Let me pray.